It was a bad time for everyone, Rambo. It's all in the past now. For you! For me, to be your life is nothing! We all feel better. In the dark. We all feel better. We all feel better. In the dark. Kick your ass! Yeah, see, since he's my friend, I'll have to kick your ass, too. You know? First you give us this stupid Poughkeepsie yeah, tapes I mean, you know, bullshit ripoff. Because he's my boy. Yeah. 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 Check it. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it, they break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years, got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for all benefit. Don't watch it Halloween, love Tom rather spit. How about a couple musicals or maybe Dennis Quaid? Or Tom's on a rant, directors be afraid. Episodes classic, don't get it twisted. And from the start, these two have been gifted. Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. Remakes of movies that don't need remade. Watch out studios, they won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn, this side of Jay-Z. My name's B hyphen and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. You want a war you can't win? Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us? You send that many, don't forget one thing. What? A good supply of body bags. Go watch that movie. It's over, Derek. It's over. What's over? What's over? It's over. What's over? Well, I guess the wait for... Better in the Dark is over? The wait for the Rambo episode is over. It's over, Derek. It's over. It's finally here. Yes. Oh, so we we finally got off our lazy bohunkuses and decided to do the Rambo episode. And besides, I'm a little bit better at Richard Cranston than I am at Sliced Alone. Yeah, well, most people are. You don't have the twisted lips, right. so, so you can't exactly... They was all over me! They was all over me! <laughs> anyway, this is Derek Ferguson. And I'm over there, and I'm grabbing a million dollar tank till I come here, and I can't get a job in a gas station. How you doing, And He's Thomas DJ. And this is Better in the Dark. We are recording on a very, very crisp February day today. Actually, it's very nice today. I just looked at the temperature. It's 52 degrees outside, which is a welcome change from the brutally cold winter that we have been having. Well, it's been back and up and down, up and down. Yeah, but we've been having things where it's been four or five days in a row where the wind chill factor is made like single digits. Yeah, yeah, single digits, man. And my heating bill was... <laughs> I don't even want to tell right. you what that's like. This is an episode that was actually requested. Yeah, this has been something that somebody actually requested. Somebody actually asked that we do something focusing on the career of Sly Stallone, mm-hmm. and Derek and I came up with the idea of, let's talk about the Rambo series. Which is tied neck and neck with the Rocky series in terms of popularity. Uh, this was his other major cash cow during right. the 80s. He was one of the few actors, if not the mm-hmm. only actor, that had two major franchises right. going at the same time. 
to me, it's a remarkable... Well, I don't know if you can count somebody like Harrison Ford, who had both Indiana Jones and the Star Wars series going at the same time. But Star Wars is more of an ensemble piece. So. Yeah, it's not okay. like a starring vehicle for him, not like mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, right. where, of course, he was the star. Star Wars, was, it was an ensemble thing. No one person was the actual star. So what we're going to do today is we are going to focus on the four Rambo films. We're going to do a very brief sidebar also into the cartoon series by Sunbow. Yeah, the infamous what, Rambo. Rambo and Forces of Freedom. Yes, a very little known animated series. And some would say for good reason. For good reason. I remember watching a couple of episodes mm-hmm. of it. That was back during the period where Mr. T had his own right. cartoon series and Chuck Norris and the Karate Chuck Commandos. The Karate Commandos. We had like Rumor a- has it that Chuck Norris flew down to Korea and killed everybody involved with that one. Oh yeah, because he's Chuck Norris. He's, Chuck- <laughs> he's the kicker of much ass. Yeah, but it was a strange period where we had a lot of real life guys getting their own cartoon series. And also that was during that period where everything was ruled by the toy manufacturers. Where the toy manufacturers were coming to the animation houses and saying, we're putting this out. Make a cartoon. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Because before we get there... Yeah, let's save that for... We've got some... Viewer mail! Email! So the first one here is from our buddy Dan Tolan. Dan Tolan is one of the members of the extended Earth2.net family. He's best known for being the co-host of our buddy Michael David Sims on Bigger on the Inside, the Doctor Who podcast, Mm -hmm. which is super, super cool. And if you're a Doctor Who fan, you should be checking that out. And Dan writes, Hello, gentlemen. I just want to drop a quick note as I finish listening to episode 50. Congratulations on the anniversary. As someone who has only just started a podcast, 50 still seems like a distant pipe dream. And I'm always heartened when somebody makes it that far, especially when it's a podcast I find so entertaining. Mike Sims turned me on to BITD a couple of months ago, and I think I sprained an iPod, crabbing all the episodes in. (laughs) I've become a huge fan, and this episode did disappoint. If I was going to pick three movies that shaped me into the unrelenting dork I am today, I'd first have to go with 1978's Superman. Not only was it the first successful comic movie, it has a heart to it that touched me as a little one. He actually wrote little one. Little one. It continues... Two has an adult. Not to mention, by and large, the effects still hold up, and Christopher Reeves' performance makes Dean Kane look like Dean Kane. I don't get that. I line. have no idea. Dan, you're going to have to email us again yeah. and explain that. Now, now, keep in mind, uh, before we start recording, Derek and I were talking about the fact that we're probably going to be doing a Superman retrospective sometime late this year. Right. We were originally going to wait till the reboot of the reboot of the reboot was going to happen. Yeah. It looks like that's not going to happen until after Green Lantern and after Dark Knight 2, or I think they're going to call the third Batman film. And like you, Dan, the first Superman, mm-hmm. uh, up until Iron Man, was probably my favorite mm-hmm. superhero movie of all time. And in a lot of ways, I still think that Superman is the best. For so long, it was the template right. for all other superhero movies that came out. Now, granted, as a kid, when I was younger... I dug Superman 2 more because, of course, it was Superman beating the crap out of shit. Oh, yeah, well, you had the fight. With but the, I think that, I mean, in retrospect, cr- as an adult, 1 holds up a lot better than 2. As far as Dean Cain is concerned, a lot of people bash Lois and Clark. You should because Lois and Clark is an example of something that started out strong and just went totally out of control. Yeah. Very yeah. quickly. Toward those, what, the, the last two seasons is almost seasons unwatchable. Was, was like you watch it and you say, well, what were the writers smoking or drinking or whatever right. they was doing they was writing this stuff? That abbreviated four season is just pure shit from beginning to end. And the show left on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Studios have really got to stop doing this. If they're going to cancel the show, tell mm-hmm. the people we're canceling the show, at least give them time right. to wrap up the storyline, have a two or hour... At least oh, do oh. a quick reshoot to get rid of 
an end of season cliffhanger, which yeah, which is never resolved exactly. But I always thought that in that first two seasons, at least, the true charm of that show was the three central performances, which was Dean Cain, Terry Hatcher, and of course the greatest Lex Luthor that ever was committed to film, mm-hmm. John Shea. John Shea, yeah. And although I will admit that I thought that Dean Cain played a better Superman than he played Clark, Clark Kent. Kent. Yeah. And since that show was so much more emphasized on Clark Kent and Lois Lane in that relationship, maybe that was where the disconnect comes from. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's get back. It sealed my love of comics and the characters they bring us. Then I'd have to go with Goodfellas. My introduction to Scorsese and the way the performances mesh with the camera work mesmerized me and made me realize how good grown-up movies could be. Mm. Finally, and I admit that I grit my teeth saying this, but I have to admit that my third flick would be Clerks. It was less to do with the movie itself, which really doesn't hold up, and I could go on a rant about Kevin Smith that could go on for pages, but Clerks shows me the possibilities that lay in writing. It was legitimately the first time I saw people my age on a screen saying things people my age talked about, and the story of how it was made led me to realize that writing wasn't just something I had to do when no one was watching. It led me to be a better writer. We've already talked about we're going to do an episode about Kevin Smith. There's a certain trend going on in his work. As a matter of fact, not too long ago, I watched Clerks and Clerks 2 back mm-hmm. to back. Those movies are infinitely watchable for the dialogue. Kevin Smith, much like Quentin Tarantino, is someone who writes like no one else writes. Yeah. You can recognize a Kevin Smith movie by the, right. by the riffs. His character, everybody has a different voice. Everybody doesn't sound the same. And I credit that as much to the actors as much as his writing. Because I love the guy that plays. He is Jeff Anderson. Jeff Jeff Anderson Anderson is so fucking funny, man. (laughs) Everything he does makes me (laughs) crack up. No time for love, Dr. Jones. And I love the Jay Asada Bob yeah. characters. Clerks, listen, I got no problem I with mean, you as far Jeff as Jeff Anderson is an actor who, with one word in Clerks, cracked me up. They talk about going to the friend's funeral. Yeah. Brian O'Halloran goes, you didn't you don't even know her. And he goes, hardly. And <laughs> yeah. The way he says the it. The way like, he says it. It's yeah. like, I don't even care what you're saying. No, he everything he does, and in Clerks too. The funniest review and the most honest review of Lord of the Rings yes. I have ever, ever heard. That scene, man, is just amazing. So, again, guys, congratulations on the anniversary, and I hope the next 50 are even better. Dan Tolan, Earth 2's resident old guy. Well, Thanks a lot, Dan. Thank for... you very much, Dan. And now we've got Keep It Coming, another guest to congratulate us on our 50th anniversary. And a big surprise for me when I got this in my email, Q-Dog. Mm. From Cool Shite on the Tube. Oh, wow. So Dave goes, hey guys, Q-Dog from Cool Shite on the Tube. Thanks for the plugs in your shows. You guys are so great at mentioning other podcasts in your shows. You are cross-promotional masters. I, I think that's just a case of we feel the need when somebody gives us love. And we have gotten lots of love from you guys and from Earth 2 and John Drew. All these great people. And we just happen to be awesomely magnanimous in our generosity. (laughs) We feel like we have to, you know, pay it forward, pay it, give it back. Share the wealth. You know, I don't know. My personal philosophy is that you don't get anywhere in this life being selfish. Especially after you and I came from another branch of fandom, which was all about selfishness. Mm. Which was all about, we don't want you included in our playhouse. Having this, coming into this, and trying this out, which was new territory for us, and having all this expansive help and love and advice from you guys and Earth 2 and Chris Johnson at at Amazing Spider-Cast and Brian Ibbett and him at Contrast Podcast... All these people, it just overwhelmed us. We didn't know what to do at first. I did. I just basked in the glory. Anyway, give it back to dog. I know what to do with it. Congrats on hitting. Me. Congrats on hitting fifty shows, 
guys, you rock. I am impressed you've hit the milestone and seem to still be going strong. Well done. I have been going in and listening to more of your shows, finally, and it's great hearing what you all think of a bunch of great films. But then your talk about cinemas you used to enjoy going to was even better. It's so cool to hear all about cinema-going experiences that were common in the 70s in New York. For us here in Australia, it's been a different kind of thing, but nowhere near as cool. Well, Q-Dog, tell us about it. We made that call back in episode 49. Let us know what the movie-going experience is like in your country. I have been enjoying hearing your thoughts on the Bond films, too. To the point where I'm looking at going out to watch The Spy Love Me again. Yet it reminds me that I must avoid Moonraker like the plague. Absolutely. Yuck. Run from it like it was Ebola. We're taking a little break from it, but we will be coming back. Expect the next segment to be sometime in the middle of spring. Anyway, well done dudes. 50 shows is a great number, and I'm looking forward to hearing you hit 100 or 200. Cheers, lad. Q-Dog. Thank you very much, Q-Dog. Thank you. And we'll say it again, if you guys aren't listening to the Joffrey Street group, they've added another podcast, which is devoted to soundtrack music. Okay. So, i got to um, check that out myself. Because I love soundtrack music. Their, their stuff is hilariously funny. Mm-hmm. They put out like two reviews a week, a feedback show, which is usually the funniest of the lot. Mm-hmm. And now they're doing the soundtrack one. So. Okay. Um, and they just recently renovated their site. we got one more from we our good friend, more. our longtime correspondent, Joel Jenkins. Oh, my man. Hey, Tom and Derek. As always, I enjoyed your latest podcast release. I've been particularly enjoying your dissection of the Bond movies. Well, like I said, we will be getting back to that soon. Don't you worry. Most, pe- most people have been enjoying it. I'm really happy that people and enjoy that series. And thankfully, the next one we're going to record is going to be a joy to, to record because we've got two great films to talk about. For Your Eyes Only and Octopus. Yeah, two of the better, more Bond movies. In listening to Tom Pan, the Frank Miller-directed spirit movie, I wondered what his impression of the movie might have been if he had not been familiar with the source material and had certain expectations. I remember seeing the Sean Connery Richard Gere travesty first night and being very disappointed. I had previously read Lamorque to Arthur and was familiar with Mallory's version of the King Arthur Lancelot Guinevere Triangle and found that the movie little resembled what was described in the legends or my expectations of what the movie should be. It wasn't really even an interesting spin on the legend. However, my brother, who was unfamiliar with the source material of the movie, watched the same movie and quite enjoyed what I found to be rather lame. I'm waiting for The Spirit to be released on DVD before I take a look, but since I am unfamiliar with Eisner's comic strip, I'm curious whether I will like the movie or find it just as horrible as Tom found it. Joel. This is what you do. Avoid any of the Eisner material until you see the movie Mm -hmm. version, if you feel that way. If you don't know anything about Eisner and you never read any of the Spirit combo, don't read them. Go see the movie. See how you like it. Then get into Eisner. Then get back to us and let us know what you think. Because I still haven't seen the movie yet. I'm waiting for the DVD, I frankly, based with, on your yeah. review and from other people what I've heard. I, I think wait. even without the prior knowledge of the source material, I think this film is still a mess. Because you've got all these weird scenes. I think I mentioned in the review those weird scenes that happen for no readily apparent reason and these bizarre plot turns like the Eva Mendez photocopies her ass and it becomes... A clue, mm-hmm. or the thing with the the hopping foot clone guy. Because this is one of the few movies that nobody I know who has seen it have said they liked it. Right, nobody. And it came and went like that. Well, there was that guy in the screening with me who said, "Well, at least it got made." Yeah, fuck you. That's the don't catch make all. me put you on the list. I mean, you know, that's the catch all answer to everything. And I really hate it when people say that. Wouldn't it have been better if they made a good spirit right. movie? So you there'd know? be another one, and a one after and, that, and a one after that, instead of. 
this one. I noticed they haven't rusted the DVD no, like they usually do. Not. That's how bad it is. See. It would not surprise me if they wait till the summer. Yeah. To release it. People are more focused towards going to the movies than, than picking up DVDs. But it's interesting also, Joel, about First Night, because I feel the same way about you at First Night. But then again, as far as I'm concerned, the definitive king off the movie was Excalibur. Right. By John Bourne, John, which yeah. was made back in the 70s. And to me, that's still the definitive king off the movie. If right. you want to see king off the Ren Excalibur, folks. Don't mess with First Night, which probably would have stood up better if they had made it with original names right. of the characters and not put it off as a King Arthur you movie. You know, that's, that's the thing that we keep coming back to on this, is that a lot of these films that are supposed to be franchise-based, there is a large portion of them that if they just decided to create an original character, yeah, that came up with Zack Snyder's Throne of the Dead. It was a great film. It would have been even better if it wasn't Dawn of the Dead. Um, if, if it had stood alone as its own mm -hmm. zombie movie. You sometimes get the impression that these producers go for the big name and then don't know what to do with it. But they know it's a big name. It makes me kind of worried. As much as we dug that trailer that played during the Super Bowl for G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. It makes me worried. You and I are both going to go see that probably for oh, opening that, day. That, if only because it's Dennis Quaid being a badass. Dennis Quaid, yeah. He's the man. I mean, you know, I'm waiting for G.I. Joe. I'm just, sorry. Just, I as mu just as much as the Transformers yeah. fan waiting for that, I'm waiting for G.I. Joe. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't get the name of your organization. I didn't give it. I didn't give it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't give it. With that little, aw, good old boy, aw, yeah, shucks, yeah. Dennis Quaid smile. Oh, on man. I can't wait for that one. I'm going to be there day one. So anyway, thank, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, everybody else. As always, we appreciate the... Emails and just keep them coming is all I got to say. And once again, a reminder, if you want to chime in and send an email, you can always send it to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Okay. And now on to our feature presentation. Dun, 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 dun. Um, we talk about a man, Sylvester Stallone, who has been through hell and back, it seems. Started out as an American success story. Yep. Wrote the screenplay for Rocky. Held out. Held out. he wanted to direct it. They wouldn't let him direct it, but they would let him star in it. Let him star in it. He did want to direct he it. He wanted yes. to star and direct and it. And direct it. But and they, they either, you give up. You can, have, you can role. have one or the other, but you yeah. can't have both. Apparently the script was so good, and the movie was so good, so the script must have been great, mm -hmm. that all, there was a lot of attention from other Hollywood actors at the yeah. time. He agreed to star in it and let Irving Kirshner yeah. direct it, mm -hmm. and it became this amazing hot Cinderella tale. Years later, he admitted that was the right way to yeah. go. But he never got over this need to direct. Oh, no. And he ended up using... The credit he got from Rocky to try and get other things pushed through. Mm -hmm. And there were a number of things that didn't quite work out. Like right. Paradise, Paradise Alley. Alley. Where he let his brother sing the theme yeah. song. <laughs> Have you ever seen that thing? No, I've, I've uh, understood it's pretty awful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but then there was like stuff like Nighthawks, which actually is pretty good. Nighthawks was excellent with Billy D. Williams, where Billy they played play cops looking for a terrorist, Rucker Hauer. Rucker Hauer, which is what made Rucker Hauer the flavor of the month for a while. Yeah, that brought him to American attention because mm -hmm. he had been a star in, in his native Holland. In he was Right, he was a star over there, and that brought him to the attention right. of American filmmakers. As a little note, also Persis Kambata from Star Trek right. The Motion Picture was in that movie as well. She passed away. Yes, she did. She tragically young. Fist was pretty good. I liked Fist, okay. which is a movie loosely based on the life of Jimmy Hoffa, right. the union organizer who disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Fist was pretty but good. But it looked like the only film that people were going to come out for 
for Sylvester Stallone was going to be Rocky movies. Because those other movies didn't yeah. do good. People just wanted to see him do right, Rocky. Rocky. Even though so- and he ended up doing a second Rocky film. The weird thing about that is that you can almost see, and this is something we're going to see later on when we talk about the films we're about to talk about, once he doesn't have those extra influences, the Irving Kirshners of the world mm-hmm. looking over his shoulder, Rocky starts becoming cartoony. The second one kind of violates the timeline of the first one mm-hmm. in the whole idea that at the end of the match, you remember Apollo Creed goes, there ain't going to be a rematch. He goes, that's okay. Right. Because yeah, the whole yeah. idea for him was just, I want to last the distance. I, I just wanted my shot. Right. But of course the movie made so much money and it won the right. Academy Award. And then of course the studio pressured right. Stallone. We want another one. We want another one. By the third one, uh, Paulie has his own robot. That's in four. That's in four. That's in four. The one with that annoying, very disturbingly female-voiced robot that Paulie... You get the impression he's using as a surrogate wife. It's very, very unnerving. It's like... Yeah, it's really creepy. That does a job with the gritty realism that we uh, had in the first first two movies. It kind of spoils it. But... That's Rocky. So it looked like Rocky was going to be it for Stallone. That was going to be his one piece of bread and butter. Until, about 1981, he was contracted to star in a film called First Blood. Based on the novel by David Morrell. Which you have read, and you said that the novel is very different from what we saw on the screen. Yes, it is. It's the same basic plot, Mm -hmm. but the character of Rambo is much darker yeah. And much more. Well, it ends with him committing suicide, doesn't it? No, it ends up with Troutman killing him. In the novel First Blood, Troutman realizes that he's really going off the deep end. There's nothing he yeah. can do for him. So he ends up shotgunning him in the head. Yeah. Which I guess is the best way if you're going to kill Rambo. Yeah. Make sure you blow his head off. <laughs> <laughs> so they made this movie, directed by Ted Kochev. Came out in the fall of 1982. Right. And it was a small release. It was a B-movie. This wasn't meant to be a big blockbuster franchise. Right. It wasn't. It was a B-movie. There wasn't a lot of expectations I mean, if in you, this movie. You look at the original First Blood posters, it's done in what I like to refer to as B-movie action speak, where oh. you have like something big exploding in the background and some knives inside. Just a much different... And nobody expected this film to do it very well. And you actually get the impression, along with stuff like Paradise Alley mm-hmm. and Fist, this was a movie Stallone was making to pay the bills right. while he was waiting to make the next Rocky. Right. Nobody expected this movie to blow up as big as mm-hmm. it did. But it did, and people kept going back to see it. I must have seen it in 82. Remember, folks, this is before DVDs right. and VHS. This so is at if, the very beginning of the, the VHS revolution. Right. So if you wanted to see a movie again, you had to go back right. to the theater. I think I must have seen it about three times. I went with different people. So it's the story of John Rambo. A Vietnam veteran. He's drifting. When we see him, he's walking into town in the... It's up in the Pacific Northwest, if I remember yeah. right. I mean, he's got... His army fatigue's on, he's got a rucksack over. Mm-hmm. Well, first he goes and tries to visit a friend of his, and the friend has already passed on. He goes to the guy's house. The guy's house, and talks and to his wife. Talks to his wife and finds out that he passed away from Agent Orange. That makes him, him and the character we're going to meet, Troutman, the last members of his platoon that are still alive. Right. He wanders into this town, the idea is he just wants to get a cup of coffee and have a meal. And he's just, basically minding his yeah, business. and move on. And the local sheriff... Played by the always amazing Brian, Brian Dennehy, Sheriff Will Teasel, mm-hmm. sees him and just looking at his hair and the way yeah. he's dressed, just got, assume yeah. he's a bum. Because he's got hair down to his shoulders. Right. Stops him and he harasses him and mm-hmm. he says, there's another town further on right. down the road. Oh, well, he gives him a ride. Yeah. And it's like you got that impression that, that you sometimes get with authority figures where he's trying to pretend to be buddy-buddy, but he's really just like saying, I'm warning you, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Well, he's being a dick. Instead of just letting the guy go ahead mm-hmm. and get his coffee and just keep an eye on him, yeah. get on the radio and 
listen, there's a guy coming to town. Just keep an eye on him. Make yeah. sure he doesn't start any trouble. He drives him to the outskirts of town mm-hmm. and says, well, if you keep going, if you really hoof it, you'll make it to the next town before right. dark. So John takes about five steps. Yeah. Decides, I still want that cup of coffee. And turns around and comes back. Then he gets arrested. That's when Brian Denny says, ah, oh, you just couldn't take a hit, right. could you? Yeah. And he slams him up against the police car and handcuffs him and he takes him back to the police station where he tells his deputies to wash him down to wash him down and that's like okay we get occasional flashbacks to see what happened to rambo in vietnam but to me that scene of them just turning the hose on this guy and he's shivering and he's obviously afraid and he's just not quite there that to me is the most harrowing thing in this movie after you watch the movie for a while it's Mm -hmm. pretty often that rambo is suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome Mm -hmm. apparently this guy didn't get any kind of counseling and as we learn from later movies he was indeed a prisoner of war we know that because we see the flashbacks of being tortured in Mm -hmm. this film really almost like subliminal snippet and we also should mention that one of the deputies that's in this movie is played by david uh, David caruso Back when he actually was acting. Right. As opposed to <laughs> taking off my glasses, giving a meaningful look, putting my glasses back on. David Caruso actually acts in yes. this movie because he tells the Brian Denny character, right. there's a little bit more going on with this guy yeah. that maybe well, we ought to check him out. One of the and, things that I like a lot about this film is with the exception of the character played by Richard Farnsworth, mm-hmm. who's just a total asshole from beginning and end, nobody in this film is... A hundred percent a jerk. Even Teasel. There's that conversation he has later on with Troutman mm-hmm. where he's debating. He says, look, you just dropped this bomb on us. He said, didn't anybody? I just got to take care of my people. And he's making good points. Mm-hmm. Maybe the way that he handled it was not the best. But in some ways, he is operating out of good intentions, mm-hmm. good motives. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the nice things about this film, is that there's no real, except for that Richard Farnsworth, and he dies very early on, there's no real evil in this film. He goes ahead and turns the hose on him, and then that comes the moment that we've been waiting for, right. when they get him dressed and they're trying to get him in the cell, and Rambo goes berserk. Because somebody uses a nightstick on him. And yeah, they got a nightstick, and he just goes absolutely ape shit. Beats the shit out of all of the deputies. Right. He runs out, he steals a motorcycle. You know, I think the only thing he takes is his knife. That's right. all he manages to get, which is really all Rambo needs. Right. Because <laughs> it's got the handle with yeah. all these little useful mm-hmm. things in it, like he's got a needle well, in it. Well, it's a throat. ranger knife. It's an issue army ranger knife. So, of mm-hmm. course, it's got the compass and the whole nine it's yards. It's got a needle and thread in right. it to sew up things. The knife kind of becomes as indispensable to Rambo as the bullwhip is to Indiana right. Jones. He goes up into the mountain. Teasel, he organizes right. a posse okay. and he goes out to get him. Rambo's picking them off one by one as yeah. they come out. And, but it's a great scene afterwards that shows us Rambo's survival skills. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, he goes to this deserted train yard. Right. He finds an old He finds an oil cloth and cuts that up and turns it into a poncho to yeah. keep it dry. Mm-hmm. Then holds himself up there. He holds up in there and they go up in the woods looking for him. These are good old boys. Mm-hmm. They go up there with right. their six packs and they figure this is going to be fun in their dogs. Before the night is through, they end up running out of the yeah. thing screaming like little bitches because Rambo's picking them off mm-hmm. one by one. In the meantime, the David Caruso character followed his instincts and looked up who this right. guy is and he said, listen, you got to look at this, this guy's guy is record. A black beret. You, this guy is yeah, he said, you serious gotta, shit. And when finally Teasel looks at it, he realizes that they need help. And that's when they call in Colonel Samuel Troutman, played by who, 
played by Richard Krenner, who is the other major character in this series. He's in the first three. He's not in the fourth one. He okay. died January of 2003. Okay. That's yeah. probably the only reason if he was alive, you know that he would have been in the fourth one. Oh, yeah, point. definitely. Troutman comes in and says, time for you guys to go home. Yeah. I know how to deal with him. And that leads to that conversation between him and Teasel, where Teasel's like, oh, look, you made this bomb and you dropped it on us. Yeah, because now this is like ego thing yeah. with... Teasel. He wants to be the one to bring in Rambo because he's been embarrassed. Troutman tells him flat out, he said, listen, if you send more guys up there after him, make sure you got plenty of body bags. There's only one thing that I know about this man, that he's a killing machine. But, of course, Teasel doesn't listen. <laughs> and then there's the first of two. This film made me angry at Sylvester Stallone. Not because he doesn't give a great performance. In fact, he gives a great performance. Oh, and yeah. you see, what a great actor was wasted for years because he took the lazy money. He quite frankly, um, he got lazy. Because Krennic has that talk on the t- walkie-talkie with him. You get the sudden realization that mentally John Rambo is a child. And it's the way that Stallone does it with a lot of subtlety in terms of just his intonation and his voice and the way he's just like, oh, he started it first. Back and forth. Yeah. Knowing he's an adult, he should stop this conversation, but continue to go. Yeah. Lifting it. I mean, because that's the first thing a child said. Well, he started it. Well, he not hit, my fault. It's well, not he, my fault. Well, he hit me first. It's a great scene. And also, it's good on an acting level because you look at it and you say, damn, Sylvester Stallone can't act when yeah. he wants to. Most people's perception of Sylvester Stallone is that he's an idiot. I think part of that also had to come from the fact that his public persona, he wanted so much to be considered intellectual. Yeah. Remember the whole thing where he was wearing the glasses, glasses and he didn't need them? Yeah. That perception, at least in terms of his acting, maybe he was foolish in trying to pass himself off as an intellectual. Mm-hmm. In terms of his acting, he is an effective actor and he allowed himself to be colored by that perception. Yeah. And you look at this film, you look at the fourth film, which we're going to talk about at the end of this episode, mm-hmm. and you see a person capable of bringing a complex character to life. Right, because in the fourth one, he brought the character back to his roots, whereas mm-hmm. in the third one, Rambo's the yeah. superhero. It becomes totally... I can tell like, you the exact moment where he turns into the superhero, but we'll get to that later. We have this big climax where he's finally provoked. Yeah. And comes back down out of the mountains and declares war on the town. And blows the shit up out yeah. of the town. He's coming in and he's shooting up shit and, he, and everybody is running <laughs> through the streets screaming. Yep. <laughs> And they're looking for cover. And by now, deputies have had enough. They told Teaser, yeah. listen, you brought this shit down, you deal with right. it. Rambo actually goes to the police station and hunts down Teaser. Yep. He's holed up in there. He's got machine guns, barricades. And Troutman's telling that's not going to help you. Right. That's not going to help you. What does end up <laughs> helping him finally when the confrontation happens is Troutman himself. Because Troutman mm. elicits this amazing monologue from Oh, yeah. Where he tells the story about how he can't handle it anymore. He tells the story about being in a Vietnam bar with one of his fellow officers. Mm -hmm. And a little child came up and it turns out that it was a suicide bomb. All of a sudden, that instant where he had his friend all... Oh, that was his thing. All over me. He's all over me. And I don't know what to do. Bramble just completely breaks down. Just like a child. Wanting his father to come comfort him. Yeah, and he's talking about how he was trying to get his friend off of him. And he said he was all over me. You look at that scene and you say, wow. It is a powerful scene. Yeah, I mean, you really feel the emotion in that scene. He just, like, breaks down. And that's it. He's got no more fight in him. Right. So Troutman takes him to... Prison. Yeah, which is the last scene because he's right. in handcuffs. Mm-hmm. By now yeah. the army is yes. and, they, and they've got tanks and guys mm-hmm. with bazookas. Right. And right. Matter of fact, that's the last shot. He's in handcuffs and Trotman is behind him and he leads him away. It's a really, really good film. It's one of Stallone's best movies. Yes. Even today, it holds up 
as a great action mm-hmm. picture. I was surprised how well, especially given how dated you would think this film would be, mm-hmm. given that it deals so extensively with Vietnam. Yeah, and I mean... When I saw it again recently, in preparation for this episode, I was really shocked at how well it holds up. I mean, the characters, everybody's got their own strong motivation. Yeah. Teasel is just not your typical redneck yeah. Sheriff, we're not talking about Sheriff Pepper here. Right, you understand why he did what he did. Right. Especially when you find out that he was a vet himself. Right. So he's almost ashamed of Rambo. The way that this guy is comporting himself. It's like two generations of right. soldiers confronting each other with different values. You see how the Vietnam War contrasted with earlier wars, like the right. Korean War, and wars like that. You know, Rambo says that he got off the plane and he got people spitting on him, calling right. him baby killer. And over there, they trusted him with $10 million tanks and all this mm. other high-tech right. equipment. And now he, he comes back it. and now he can't get a job in a gas station. It really has a lot to say about how we felt about Vietnam at that right. time and about our veterans. It's not just a mindless action movie. And it does got some terrific stunts, like the stunt with Stallone is climbing down this vertical right. cliff. They're at the top of the shooter. And he takes this suicide leap off of there, mm-hmm. hoping to grab onto this right. tree. Oh, man. And he takes this. Full. And, folks, this was back before CGI. Right. There was a stuntman that actually did that shit. There was a real guy actually risking his life to do that stunt. And this was a surprise. Well, not a surprise yet because it could in the quality. But it made money like gangbusters. So, all of a sudden, Sylvester Stallone was unique in the Hollywood firmament at the time. And that he had not one, but two franchise because the studio begged them canon which did the first one said okay what are you gonna do the first blood two and actually nobody had thought about doing it it was treated as a it was released in october which is traditionally a time when you release the stuff you know is gonna fail this is something that stallone did to pay the bills while he was ready to do another rocket which to him at that time that was his real bread and butter and before he knew it a light bulb went off and he said Oh, shit. Right. <laughs> and I also wonder if also this is about the time when people wanted to get into a dialogue about Vietnam again. There was that whole period after Vietnam ended in the 70s where it was almost like a, a dirty word. You didn't want to talk about it. Right. And now you wanted to talk about it in more of a even balanced way. It just was another one of these cases of lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Where it wasn't just the fact that you had this actor who was at the top of his game, and you had this great script, and you had this really hard-working... Kochev is not like a great director, but he's a competent director who knows how to shoot a movie. Exactly. And you had all these elements working together at the right time, and it just created a firestorm. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. A lot of our directors today... Could mm-hmm. take a lesson from him because you know something? He doesn't jiggle the camera yeah. all over the place. He doesn't use a handheld jiggle cam. Well, I want the audience to feel like they're in the middle of the action. He puts the camera steady so you can see the action right. like you're supposed to see it. So to sum up, First Blood First is, blood is first rate. Great. Now I'm going to sound like one of these guys who wants to be on the covers of the DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> so First Blood was in 1982, so yeah. we jump ahead now to 1985. In between this, of course, we get Rocky Three, I think, mm-hmm. during this time, which is the one with Clubber Lang. Right. So once again, you're seeing in Stallone's other franchise how when Stallone gets more and more control, the characters start losing depth and become more and more cartoons. Right. Because here he's fighting Clubber Lang and massive... Granted, it's not as bad as 4, where you've got the Man Mountain Drago. Oh, Drago, yeah, yeah. Who can punch with over 1,000 pounds per square inch. Oh, my God. Yeah, after a while, it just got to be so ridiculous. I remember me and my friends making jokes back then that they were going to start having to go off planet to find guys to fight Rocky. Much like Muhammad Ali versus Superman. 
It would have been ride, remember Rocky that? versus Superman. Yeah, exactly. Well, remember, Rocky almost was a member of G.I. Joe. Marvel did a book, sort of like the official handbook, mm-hmm. called G.I. Joe, The Order of Battle, which was dossiers and all the characters in the G.I. Joe comic book series. And they had Rocky in there because they were going to sign a deal with Sylvester Stallone mm-hmm. to put Rocky in G.I. Joe. As a member of G.I. Well, you had real-life guys. You had the wrestler Sergeant right. Slaughter. You had Refrigerator Perry. Refrigerator Perry was a member mm-hmm. of G.I. Joe. I remember he had a mace that was like yep. a football, football chain. Yes. <laughs> he was an iron football yep. on chain. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck Norris Chuck, was going to be. Right. Yeah, he was gonna, I don't know what and happened. And I know that was the last gasp, because it seemed like Hasbro was really into signing different licenses to be in the G.I. Joe line. Because mm-hmm. the one of the last gasps of the G.I. Joe line was the Street Fighter G.I. Joe. Yeah. So, that's a little bit of a tangent. So, in 1985, Stallone comes back to John Rambo. Right. And here's where we get the big confusion. Because this one is called Rambo First Blood Part 2. Part 2, yeah. <laughs> so Sloan writes the screenplay off, off of a story by Kevin Jar. Mm-hmm. It is directed by George P. Cosmatos. Who did a whole shitload of movies for canon. He was yeah. like their go-to guy right. when it came to directing. I, I'll tell you the exact moment when we get to it in the plot. Okay. Where he becomes a cartoon. It's almost like from the beginning you know that this is a much different film because we get the strapping on scenes. Oh. Now this one I remember seeing on 2nd Avenue you with a friend of mine when I was doing improvisational comedy. Okay. That's like, wait a minute, that's not the same guy. There's something different here. This is where we start getting Rambo the superhero. Right. Although there's still glimpses of Rambo the damaged Vietnam vet mm-hmm. in the first 20 minutes of the film. It opens up when he's in prison. He's doing hard labor. He's <laughs> making little rocks out of big rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, he killed a couple of people right. during the first movie. And he almost killed Teasel. Colonel Troutman, again played by Richard Crenner, right. goes to visit him and says, Listen, there's a mission that we need done. You're the guy that I want to do. Because he wants to get right. Rambo out of there. He wants right. to give him a purpose. We keep coming back to the things that this is his father. So he's got a mission that he wants done. And Rambo is actually content to spend the yeah. rest of his life Big, in there. I like making little rocks. <laughs> Hey, I, I could do some of after all. But he's perfectly content because as he puts it, well, I know my role. Yeah, exactly, I don't yeah. know my role out mm-hmm. here. Of course, naturally. Also, we should mention that Stallone looks a lot different. Oh, yeah. He's he's, he's like a monster now. Well, apparently, making little rocks out of big rocks right. makes you real cut because he's yeah, like, oh, he's, man. Oh. This, this body fetishism goes a long way in this film and the next one. Because in the first one, you can see John Rambo was built, but he wasn't outrageously yeah. muscled the way he is in this one. Yeah, but it's the same thing with the Rocky films. When you see Rocky in the first film, he's fit, but he's kind of doughy. But he's more beefy, yeah. Yeah, like beef, yeah, exactly. And then the second one, and the third one, and the fourth one, he just gets more and more brolic. Oh, man. Until, uh, didn't at one point Stallone have some situation with steroids or something? Ah, uh, yes, I believe so. Matter of fact, he admitted just a couple of years back yeah. that he's used steroids. He flew to Australia or New Zealand or some, someplace some like that country, yeah, yeah. to get the steroids. Because they're legal right. in most other countries of the world. Troutman brings him to see... Charles Napier's Marshall Murdoch. Murdoch. Who informs him that they want Rambo to go... Go back to Vietnam right. because they believe that there are Vietnam veterans still that are in. still being held in prisoner war right. camps. They emphasize the Rambo. And see, this is where the sense of the right. movie breaks Actually, down. Actually, you kind of know that Charles Napier is not on the up and up because who does he employ as his main hench guy? Who? Martin Cole. Oh, Martin Cole. Sweep <laughs> the leg, Johnny! <laughs> You know if your right-hand man is Martin Cove, 
you're not a good guy. Also, if you want to send somebody on a clandestine mission where yeah. they're not supposed to be noticed, you don't get a mentally unstable yeah. guy who's been held in a POW camp himself. Right. So they load him down with all of these James Bond types of guys. And I love the scene where Rambo... Now, he hasn't said anything through the yeah. whole time when Troutman brings him in right. and he introduces him. He's just walking around looking at all of the yeah. gizmos and gadgets. Charles Napier is talking and he says to Troutman, is he alright? Is he paying attention? And Rambo turns around and repeats everything he's just yes. said to him without a beat. So he says, oh shit. They load him down with all of these machine guns and gadgets and Guns and a bow and arrow. And as much as the knife is, the bow and arrow becomes part of the Rambo iconography with this. Well, in this movie, now all of a sudden we find out that he's half Apache. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think at this point he's still an orphan. Still which an orphan. is interesting when we get to the last film. Mm -hmm. But we also do get a resume because the Napier character reads right. off all of the old... Find out that he's been decorated right. multiple, like he's won the Silver Star mm -hmm. two or three times. He's won the Purple Heart three or four times. Right. He's got like a shitload of medals right. and commendations. He's good at what he does, which mm -hmm. we've already known. Yes. So they stick him on... he killed the town. Well, yeah, he, yeah basically. He <laughs> you kill a town, you're pretty good at what you do. So they stick him on an airplane, mm -hmm. and they say they're going to... Oh, there, there's one thing, and this is the first time I realized there's something off here. Mm -hmm. At one point, he asks... Napier about his military service. Mm -hmm. And Napier gives off that he served with this armed forces branch, yada, yada, yada. Before he leaves in the airplane, he tells Troutman, there never was a 15th, whatever the division was. There oh, was. yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, this guy who was barely a child in the first film is a military specialist, mm -hmm. which I think was very interesting. But, you know, it just goes to show you with the earlier scene, mm -hmm. maybe there's a little bit something more. Right. I figured that with stuff with military, he's almost like a idiot savant okay. that when it comes to that, See, that so I was willing to accept that we're coming up on that moment where I said okay we've lost this character this character okay. but anyway come on so they stick him on an airplane right a stealth plane and they're flying low over Vietnam or Cambodia mm -hmm. wherever it's at he parachutes out right unfortunately his parachute gets caught up on the engine or right. the wing of the plane and he's being dragged behind mm -hmm. the plane and they're saying, well, they got to cut him loose, right. which he starts doing. He right. starts cutting away all of his equipment, right. cuts away his chute. Fortunately, he's got a backup one. Poof, he goes away. They don't see the chute open, so they don't know if he's alive or dead. Right. Of course he's alive, otherwise we wouldn't have, have a movie. movie. He's got nothing, but of course it's not. He's now right. he's lost all of his equipment and the bow and, and the arrow. Bow and arrow. This is where the bow and arrow becomes part of the legend. And he meets up with Co. Cole. Played by Julia Nixon Soul, yes. who is his contact there. Mm -hmm. She's part of the Vietnam Underground, right. I guess, who is still working with the American government. And she is very much cliched Asian girl. Oh, yeah. With the halting tone of voice mm -hmm. and the broken English and What brings you luck, Rambo? Yeah. <laughs> what I, see, now, now you've hit upon it. Now you've hit upon the moment where I realized the character that I loved in the first film is lost to me. When they're sitting on the boat, what brings you luck, Rambo? And pulls out the knife, throws it, spears the ugly bug thing, mm -hmm. and says, "We have my knife." He says, "I guess this does." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what brings you luck, Rambo? <laughs> oh man, she just, yes. she's, and, she's, and you know that she might as well just have cannon fodder stomped on her oh, forehead. Oh, Bam! Yeah. <laughs> you know. Your ass is gone. I have never seen this child in another movie yeah. since. Not that she doesn't have an appealing quality to her. Yeah. She does. I mean, it's so obvious from the first scene she's being set up yeah. to get whacked at some mm -hmm. point during this movie. Rambo does find the POW yes. camp. 
And more importantly, find some POWs. Ooh, big surprise. They're being held by the Vietnamese who are also working with the Russians of all right. people. The Russian, by the way, is played by a, a person we're going to talk about in a future episode, Stephen Burkhoff. Stephen Burkhoff was a mainstay of the Ridiculous Theater Company, headed by Richard Foreman, okay. here in New York during the 70s and 80s. And he had, how shall we put it, a very robust acting style? Yes. Very robust. Very robust. Yes. Very larger than life. Which works in this film. Don't get me wrong. It works perfectly to the tone that Stallone's script and Cosmatos' direction has set. In other films, I can see it being really, really annoying. Yeah. It also works in Octopussy, too. Yeah, in the Bond movie. Yeah, yeah. It works in that because, well, it's James Bond. It's supposed to be right. larger than life. He not only he finds the POW camp, he finds POW. Right. Since he doesn't have the camera he's supposed to use the pictures with. Right. To take proof back, he decided to take back one of the POWs back as a proof. They make a break for it to pick up the helicopter. They're pursued by the Vietnamese and the Russians. They're all chasing them. It does fail the first time. Yes, it does. And because Martin Cove, who's flying yeah. the helicopter, sees him. Right. And Rambo's saying, come on down and right. pick us up. Charles Napier calls him on the radio and says, yeah, that son of a bitch found one. He found one. And Charles Napier said, yeah. leave him. He says, leave him. Now, to give the Martin Cove character his credit, he says, Wait a minute, you gotta repeat that. Did I hear you? Because he doesn't yeah, want right. to go pick him up. He says, abort, abort, come mm-hmm. on back. Now we got Rambo. He's a POW. Right. And now we got probably one of the nastiest scenes in the whole series, which is when Ooh. they're lowering him into the big fucking pile of pig shit. Yeah, it's a pool of pig shit. And they're submerging oh. him in pig shit. And yeah. that's just nasty. And then they pull him out, and you see he's covered with leeches and stuff. Yeah, well. man. Talk about torture. Yo, kill me right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, just kill me. Now we cut back to Colonel Trotman, who, right. of course, goes over to Murdoch and says, well, what the hell happened? Right. Why didn't you pick him up? Murdoch reveals this is just something to, to keep people quiet. He says, what do you think would happen if we had to admit that there was POWs right. over there and we haven't went and got yeah. them by now? This was never supposed to succeed. Right. Your boy was just supposed to go, look around, come back and say, I didn't see anything. Right. He screwed up. So now, I guess he stays where right. he's at. And Troutman says, oh, you made a big mistake. Hey, you're not the <laughs> Rambo ain't the one who screwed up, my friend. Which, of course, comes up with another one of the famous scenes in the film uh-huh. where they have him strapped to the mattress bed springs. Yeah. Yeah. And they're torturing him with electricity. And it's hooked up to like a small right. generator. And they yeah. want him to renounce the American capitalist way. What Rambo does is, are you listening, Murdoch? Yeah, because they tell him to call up yeah. Murdoch, and they, he's supposed to tell him something, yeah. or he's supposed to you tell him they screwed up, so they give him the microphone. Murdoch, are you listening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What happens? Rambo, once again, goes berserk. Starts beating beat the shit out of everybody. We should also mention that by this time, Cole has snuck into yeah. it, pretending to be a prostitute right. at the camp. She's killed... A couple yeah. of guys herself, and she shows up in time to help Rambo get right. out of there. You know? And also just in time to die, and after Emmer was decided he's in love with her. You take me to America, Rambo? Yeah, uh-huh. She gives him the little thing that he wears. She gets killed during the escape. Mm-hmm. That's when Rambo decides that he's going to go back, kill everybody, right. get all the POWs, and take them home. Right. Which he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Commandeers a chopper. Gets chased by Steve Burkhoff. But there's an infamous scene yeah. before that. Remember? As in the first movie, we got the scene where the Vietnamese, they go into the jungle right. and get Rambo. And they've got the scene where one guy walks past this cliff. All of a sudden, oh, you yes. see a pair of eyes open up. See, it, the thing that, that cracks me up about that is if you look at the timeline, from the moment that Rambo enters that swamp where the mm-hmm. mud is, mm-hmm. to the time that that 
Vietnamese passes by. That rivals the time it took Roger Moore to put on the clown makeup in Octopus. Yeah. You, you know, know to like, get into the clown. Yeah, right. He comes out yeah, and he just grabs him. But what's even funnier is that in the very next scene, see him running toward the right. bridge and he doesn't have a speck of mud on him. And it turns out he's got the bow and arrow right. and they've got explosive arrowheads. Yeah. Yep. He's blowing up tanks. He's blowing up trucks. He blows up the bridge. He blows up every fucking thing. Mm-hmm. He gets the prisoners of war. He gets them all in a helicopter and they start flying for the rendezvous point right. because by now he's got back on the radio and said listen I've escaped I've killed everybody I've blown right. up everything I'm coming to kill your boss but first you gotta help me get these guys right. out so, that, so Troutman says okay make it to this point and we'll be able to get you out right. Stephen Burkhoff He's got a helicopter. And he's got too. like one of those Blue Thunder mega helicopters. Oh, that's a Russian Hind yeah. helicopter. One of the most powerful. It's like a flying tank. Yeah. Almost. It's got machine guns and rockets. Rambo is driving the one that has like the oil filling out. Well, and stuff. if we put it in terms of cars, Stephen Burkhoff is flying a Rolls Royce and Sylvester Stallone is flying a Hyundai. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I mean, the helicopter is getting shot to shit. Burkhoff fires a rocket, there's an explosion, yeah. and then the next thing he sees Rambo's helicopter comes up out of the valley. Right. And he's in there and he figures that he shot down the helicopter. So he comes in closer to verify his kill. And that's when Rambo pops up and he's got a rocket launcher Mm -hmm. which he pops right through the canopy and blows that up. Mm -hmm. That's only one bad guy that's gotten rid of. We still got Murdoch. Right. Who goes back and Sylvester Stallone? Well, if I remember correctly, first he kicks Martin Cove in the nuts. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Chris Martin's like, "Oh, you got him out, got him out, wham!" <laughs> and it's like by this time, everybody has abandoned. Just like yes. in the first movie, Tito's yeah. got Murdoch's guys have abandoned yeah. him too. First of all, because they didn't like the shit that he pulled, right? And second of all, they don't want to be there when Rambo comes. Which in. once again carries over the idea that although here there's obviously two bad guys, but a lot of the other people are not truly evil. Right. Just doing their job. Once his guys find out what he did, they're abandoning Rambo. Because they have the scene where Rambo is telling, well, I found what I found what, And you see... Yeah, everybody's like high-fiving going, yeah, yeah. And then he clears the room. Right. Because he doesn't want them to hear anymore. So Rambo kicks Martin Cove in the nuts. Right. Quite deservedly so. He goes up there and Troutman is standing in front of the door. Right. And he goes there, Troutman just stands aside. <laughs> you know, Troutman is, I got no problem with you killing this guy. Yeah. You know? And he goes in, he's got an M60 machine gun, and he shoots up the place. Empties yep. the entire clip for like about two minutes. All you hear is on the soundtrack. Yeah, and it's like an orgasm because yeah. he's screaming. Aah! Yeah, <laughs> and when he walks in there, Murdoch, the true bureaucrat, said, "Listen, let me explain. Yes. You don't understand." Grandpa <laughs> just picks him up, throws him down on the table, and is ready to show how he cuts fish. He tells him, "You knew those guys were there. You know there's other guys there. You go find them." Before I come back and find you. And you think he's going to stab yeah. him through the head. But he sticks the knife in the desk right next to his right. ear. And the poor guy passes out. And then he goes back outside. Him and Troutman have their little exchange. And he has dialogue. another speech like the one in the first one. Although nowhere near as interesting. More about No, no. This is no more cliche. Well, it's very patriotic. Yeah. You know, but... oh, where will you go now, John? I'll, I'll go wherever I need. Uh, well, yeah, I'll go wherever I'm needed. Well, how will you live day by day? <laughs> and that's when the movie ends. It's possible this one was even a bigger hit than First Blood. Deservedly so, because you can say what you want about it. Mm-hmm. It's action movie, and it delivers on action. Right. It's got a lot of action. More important, it's got a lot of good action. They got the scene. They have the gunboat right. that comes in, and they have the little fight with them. They have mm-hmm. the guys. 
They try to double cross Rambo and he kills right. all of them. That's how they get the boat in the first mm-hmm. place. The scenes in the POW camp where he's being tortured. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh. very, yeah, very harrowing scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it delivered on the action. This was an even bigger hit than the first one. And it spawned the cartoon series. Uh, that made Rambo the first R-rated movie character to get his own children's cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, this Rambo was very different. Very different. The one we see in the movie. It debuted in April of 1986 as a five part miniseries. It ran all of one week. Yeah, right. In syndication. And was revived in September as a daily cartoon. They ended up doing 65 episodes during the course of their year of production. In the cartoon, Rambo was part of a G.I. Joe like team because you had the team. Yeah. You always had the team when you had a cartoon. Of course. Called the Forces of Freedom. More toys, you could say. Right. Uh, and they fought Savage. The secret administrators of vengeance. I love the fact that they're administrators. Yeah, they yeah, do yeah, paperwork. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they do yeah they're administrators. They're basically doing paperwork for Cobra, I guess. Uh, secret administrators? <laughs> of vengeance, anarchy and global extortion. Led by one General Warhawk. Not very many people remember this. Hell, it took us a while to find it the information us, we found on this. It took us a while to find it. And it's interesting to mention that Rambo's team, of course, in the spirit of nationality, was all multiracial. Yeah, you had the African-American engineer. The female was Asian-American. She mm-hmm. was this military brat who was a master of martial arts and disguises. You had Troutman, of course. Yeah, Troutman was there. And if you were in the, in the 80s, you had a heroic comic book or television series. You had to have a ninja. You had to have a ninja. You had White the, Dragon. The 80s was big on ninjas, folks. Shokushugi lived. Apparently there was a controversy production studio because the writers didn't know how they could present Rambo as a child-friendly main character. You have a Vietnam vet who mm-hmm. was mentally damaged, suffering from post-traumatic stress Which syndrome. Which resulted in you know, a Rambo cartoon that never referenced Vietnam at all. Frequently, the adventures would focus on fictitious countries. So they suffered from a big case of the DCs. Parmistan. Parmesan. Parmesan. <laughs> I like Parmesan. <laughs> Five points if you can tell me what movie that's from. Parmesan, the country of Parmesan. I don't know. You don't be... remember Jim Cotta? Oh, of course. Yeah. Ah, the thing I love about Jim Cotta is that <laughs> the head of that country, the person who, who runs the Jim Cotta competition, uh-huh. I swear to God, looks just like Stan Lee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his daughter is this beautiful Thai girl. Who never speaks. She can speak, but she just yeah. doesn't like to. We got to do what? Well, you know. We um, have to get to Jim Cotta one day. Was it Kellen who mentioned that he just saw the rundown and wanted us to do a yeah, yeah. an episode on wacky action movies? I believe his term was kick-ass. Kick-ass, wacky action movies. Yeah, and if you listen to Kellen, and I know you probably Oh, are. by the way, we should mention first off that even though it debuted the episode before, we have a new theme song. Thanks to Kellen. If you get a chance, and matter of fact, yeah, go to beehyphen.com. Even if you don't get a chance, I'm telling you, go to beehyphen.com. He just renovated the entire site. I downloaded some stuff off of this, some of the mixtapes. Yes, me too. He's a remarkable rapper, Mm -hmm. and thank you, beehyphen, for the new theme song. It kicks all ass in sight, quite frankly. That is correct, my friend. If you're listening, I'm glad we could turn you on to the rundown because right. everybody ought to see that. Yes. Thing. That thing is off the chain. Yeah, we got to do a show with. Um, Let loose the dogs of war. What did you say? <laughs> Let loose the dogs of war. <laughs> what the heck are you talking about, man? What are you talking <laughs> about? And you know that Dwayne Johnson is going to be playing Race Bannon in yeah, the Johnny Quest movie. Yeah, hey. 
He's going to play Race Bannon. Oh, man, I cannot wait for that. Getting back to the series that we're talking about. Oh, yeah, Rebel and the Forces of Freedom. And the Forces of Freedom, which spawned a toy line, of course. A lot of people did not like this cartoon. A lot of the fans of the movie series thought it was stupid. But it lasted its year. It got 65 commitment, Mm -hmm. and that was it. I vaguely remember seeing a couple of episodes. David Morrell, I know he actively hated it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not surprised. But apparently he didn't have anything to do with it. He couldn't stop it. He said, so, I guess... He took his share of the money and just said, I'll live with it. Right. <laughs> Rambo First Blood Part 2 made a lot of money. So there was a desire to for a third one. Well, of course, because the second one made even more money than the Now, to make things even more confusing, the sequel to Rambo First Blood Part 2 <laughs> yeah. is called Rambo, Rambo 3. Three. First Blood one is... Rambo 1, I guess. But it wasn't called Rambo yes. 1. I guess they figured we had to call it something. But by now, the Rambo name was so well known, mm-hmm. they could have just... Put Rambo up there. They didn't even have to put a number on it if people would have known what you're talking about. Because and it gets even more confusing as we get to the next film after this one. It's funny now that the Rambo character and name, that's kind of like a shorthand when right. you have a character who's gung-ho and violent right. and like that. People say, oh, who do you think you are, Rambo? Mm-hmm. That's how well-known the name had become by that time. So the director this time out is Peter McDonald. Sylvester Stallone wrote the script entirely. But this is the movie. Yes, you can tell you My Richard Crenna story. Yeah. This is an interesting little story here. It must have been a couple of years, well, of course it had to be a couple of years before this movie was made, when I worked for the New mm-hmm. York City Board of Education. The school on 96th Street I was working at one summer where CBS was filming yeah. a movie called Switch. Richard Krenner had done a popular the series. The I think it was? Uh, Janik. Janik, okay, I knew it was. The Detective like Janik movies. Mm-hmm. It was a series of TV movies he that had made. That lasted for a long time, didn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, I think he made about four or five of them right. things. The school I was working at, they actually took the second floor and turned that into the police station where Janet worked at, right. and they were filming right there. Every day, they had the catering, the whole nine yards, and they told us, the staff working at the school, while we were doing our usual thing, because right. we had a lunch program going on right. in summer school, they said, help yourself. One morning, I find myself standing next to Richard, Richard Craner. I said, oh, well, I said, well, Mr. Krenner, how you doing? Enjoy your work, and we're going on, and we're talking. And he was very gracious, folks. I've met a couple of professional actors. Richard Krenner was among one of the nicest. So we started talking about the Rambo movies. And, of course, I asked him, are you going to do another one? And he says, well, yeah, we got writers, and they're working on stories and right now, and we haven't found one we like. And me, I say, well, why don't you do one where Rambo has to go rescue you? Right. Because you're like a father to him mm-hmm. right about now. That would probably be the only thing that could get him motivated right. to go back into action. And Richard Clinton is nodding and he says, oh, that's mm-hmm. very good. He said, well, are you a writer? I said, well, I have aspirations of being yeah. a writer. I got ideas. Okay. He says, well, it was nice talking to you. And he goes right. about his business. 1988 comes along. And I go see Rambo 3. I sit there, and what is the story about? The story is about Rambo having to go rescue. But realistically, as you yourself pointed out, where else could they have gone to find the motivation? Right. And also, character. folks, I do not relate this story mm-hmm. trying to say that I gave him the idea for Rambo 3. Right. I'm not saying that at all because, yeah. as we've talked plenty of times, if you have enough writers working on the right. same character, they're bound to come up with the same idea. I just wanted to relate it because it's related to what mm-hmm. we're talking right. about. Rambo 3 has Troutman kidnapped. In Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Well, first they go, we find Rambo is working in a monastery oh, in well, Thailand. Yeah, he's, he's helping them renovate their monastery. He's working on the bell tower. 
And in order to get funds, he's also stick fighting. Yes. He participates in these really brutal stick mm-hmm. fighting matches. In fact, that's when we first see him. He's in one of these fights. Troutman and his CIA contact, played mm-hmm. by Kurtwood Smith. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. Course, the yeah. guy you get when you can't get Michael Ironside. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But also, of course, when you see Kurtwood Smith, you, you know that you're in trouble. Yeah. Troutman comes to him. He wants him to go on yet another mission, mission which Rambo turns down, mm-hmm. surprisingly. Rambo says, I'm at peace here. He's doing his thing. He, he says that the stick fighting allows him to get out his right. aggression. And working on the monastery with these priests feeds his spiritual right. side. He appears to have found peace. And Troutman leaves him alone. Troutman says, okay, well, I'm glad you found some place finally right. that you're happy at. As it turns out, Troutman himself goes on a mission, mm-hmm. which leads to Kurtwood Smith's character coming back to Rambo later right. on and says, you turned it down, so he went. Right, and he's now a prisoner. We know where he's at. We know who's got him. Do you want to go in and get him? Of course he's going to go get right. it because, as I keep saying, otherwise we would not have exactly. a movie. <laughs> One of the things that's really weird about this film, watching it from today's perspective, is that it loves a gas stand. Oh, yeah. You have all these endless scenes with him palling around with the Afghani. The Afghani's going, they have a saying. If you have a choice between a scorpion and an Afghani, choose the scorpion. All these other things are like trying to lionize Afghanistan. And And he even picks up a kid's sidekick. Yeah, oh yes, exactly. But back then, folks, believe it or not, the Afghani, they were on our side back then. A lot of people forget this. Osama bin Laden was trained by us. He was Mm -hmm. trained by the CIA. We were very involved with the freedom fighters there. What do they call them? The uh, The Mujahideen. The Mujahideen, right. Who also make an appearance in the James Bond right. movie. And in uh, Living Daylight. As the good guys. Yeah. Right. We have these scenes where he's sitting down with the Afghani tribe. While the Afghani tribe are trying to decide whether they trust him or not. And they're yeah. playing witness to all the atrocities that have been put upon them. Oh yeah, this movie is so pro-Afghan. And let's not forget, of course, it's the up. famous goat polo scene. <laughs> Which you can't stand. I, that is just so stupid. I'm sorry, the goat polo scene. It's a game, folks, where they actually have the carcass of a dead goat mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of guys on horses. They, it's polo, basically. They, they grab up yeah. the goat and they try to throw it through the goat polo. So they, they, throw, they throw it into a circle. Uh-huh. It's basically polo, but with a dead goat. And believe it or not, this is how... Rambo proves that, bonds with them and proves that, oh, well, he can be trusted because he can throw the carcass of a dead goat further than anybody else and get it into the circle. Rambo is 100% in superhero territory. Oh, yeah. And there's no pretense whatsoever of trying to turn this into, there was some pretense of trying to give that multi-layered character, but here it's just, I'm the big hero. Because once again, the Russians are the bad guys. He does get into the camp. Right. And he gets Troutman out, and then they got to go on the run. They spend interminable scenes going through the deserts and yep. caves, and it's like every ten minutes, somebody's jumping out at him with a machine gun. Perhaps the most uh, indicative scene of just how far away from reality this film goes is when Rambo faces down a tank with his bow and arrow. Yeah. We're in full superhero mode here. This movie makes no pretense. Rambo can do anything now. Yeah. It's the least satisfying. And this one, along with Rocky V, pretty much brought down the curtain for a long time on Sylvester Stallone. Oh, yeah. This This is the beginning of a very long drought that Mm -hmm. Stallone had, where he did not make any real successful films. This one made money, but it didn't make as much money as they thought it was going to make. It was critically panned. Nobody seemed to like this movie. Yes, it's got a lot of action, 
but there's really not much thought behind it, despite the whole thing that we get with the pro-Afghan thing right. and the anti-Russian sentiment. There's really not a whole lot of thought behind this. Nowhere near like we get with the first one right. or the one that we're going to do next, the 2008 yeah. Rambo. There's nowhere near... But I, think that, I, I mean, there's no yeah. thought in this movie. But I think that this next film that we're about to discuss, the last film in the series, mm -hmm. would not have happened if not for that dry spell that Stallone had where he just could not get himself anywhere. Well, there were the occasional blips. Cliffhanger did fairly well. Yeah, Cliffhanger did fairly well. Copland did fairly well. Copland well, that was, was more of a, a critical thing. That was more of a critical success in a financial And movie. there yeah, was a long period of about almost 10 years where the bulk of Stallone's movies were being released direct to video. Yeah. What else he had? He had that one with Antonio Banderas. Oh, Assassin. Assassin. Where you know. he gets to beat up James Woods. I'm sorry, that ain't ever going to happen. Yeah, that ain't happening. You know what? I don't care how bulked yeah. up you are. James Woods is going to kick your ass. That's right. <laughs> yeah, there I mean, was yeah. Driven and there was Judge Dredd. I think that that kind of humbled him and made him realize that I should go back to what worked for me when I first started out. Right. Which was getting to these core characters. He started out first... With Rocky Balboa. I saw Rocky Balboa. I really didn't want to go see that because mm -hmm. still on for so long. I figured he was all dried up, but yeah. my wife wanted to see it. I walked out of that movie cheering. He's right. got it back because Rocky Balboa, just to get off of something just for two quick minutes, really wasn't a movie about boxing. It right. was a movie about this character getting older. Right. He's lost his wife. He's lost a mm -hmm. lot. It was really about... Rocky Balboa dealing with his loneliness and getting older. The boxing actually was incidental. It was about him bonding with his son, right. who's got from Heroes, who's got that same lip yeah. thing. They really do look like father and son, because <laughs> they both got that twisted lip when My they little talk. Ventimiglia. And I looked at it, and I said, oh, wow, he's really got it back. And it became something of a hit. Yeah. So much so that Stallone was able to go back to his other character. It was originally the, the film was going to be called John Rambo. Yeah. But they just shortened it to, and here's where it gets really confusing, Rambo. Rambo. <laughs> as opposed to Rambo First Blood Part 2. Right. Which was supposed to be the sequel to First Blood. This it's, is probably the most confusingly named yeah. Film series in history. So the director is Sylvester Stallone. However, for the first time since the first film, even though he's a writer on the film, he has help. He didn't just write the screenplay by so himself. So he's collaborating with Art, let me see if I can get this name right, Monterosistelli. Oh, close enough. Came out last year, January 25th, 2008, which was just kind of a dead zone. So I think that, that the company wasn't quite sure whether this was going to succeed or not. I think that people, after seeing Rocky, if this had come out before Rocky Balboa, people probably mm -hmm. wouldn't have paid too much attention to it. They'd probably say, oh, well, Stallone is just trying to get another paycheck. Right. But after Rocky Balboa was such a surprise hit, people really perked up when they right. said, he's doing another Rambo. Now, of course, one of the problems with this film is that, unfortunately, as we mentioned earlier, Fran had passed away. Mm -hmm. So they had to find some other way for an in for Rambo. Right. But it, right from the beginning, it's a much different film from the last two. Stallone is not afraid to let himself look haggard and old and yeah. broken down in the first, where we see that he's still living at the monastery. Yeah, he's still there. Although the thing that I find interesting is that they kind of played the timeline sort of ambiguously so that we don't know that if a film that just ignores the last two, yeah, or if this is 15 years later, Rambo. Which I think is a wise move because mm -hmm. if you notice they scrupulously, they kind of like avoid dates, fudge it around so you're not really sure when mm -hmm. exactly it's supposed to take place. They don't really make any reference to 
the last two movies, which I think was a good way to go. And he's making know. his living selling cobras to dealers yeah. in Thailand. And also you get the impression that from time to time he'll ferry people because yeah. they do come to him. Right. In fact, the Christian mission comes. Right, comes and asks him. So apparently he's yeah. also ferrying people up and mm-hmm. down the river. And they ask him for passage into Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And we see from the beginning, right at the top of the film, that Malaysia is not a nice place to be at this time. No, it's not a vacation spot. And one of the things that really strikes you about this Rambo more than the first three, the blood taps are flowing. Whoa, yeah, this is... Because I remember that first scene, they're hurting people into a minefield and making bets into who hits a mine first. When the mine goes off, you see body parts yep. flying in. I mean, this is one of the most violent movies mm-hmm. I've ever seen. The level of violence in this movie, especially in the last 30, 40 yeah. years, is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's just carnage, man. <laughs> So, he's approached by a Christian mission to ferry them into Malaysia, okay. headed by a preacher, and I'm not sure if she's, she's supposed to be his wife or fiance. You know, they never really make... But I think there's some sort of romantic relationship between the I, two. I think it's more on his part than yeah. hers, actually. Sarah is the female head of this mission, right. played by Julie Benz, who most people would remember from Buffy the Vampire Slayer playing Darla. Yeah. Rambo doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Tells them quite yeah. frankly that yeah, you got, don't want to go down. You there. know they've got no business going yeah. up there, mm-hmm. and they promptly get captured by they, the Malaysian they military. Get, they get captured. So he gets approached again by the head of the church during a brief time when he takes him up to a point the first time. Yeah, he takes him up to a point. And he bonds a little bit with the Julie Benz character who shows him respect and shows him kindness Mm -hmm. and just takes the time to get to know him. It's totally platonic. There's never any sort of relationship other than her being interested in another human being implied. It's interesting because... At one point, the guy who's supposed to be the de facto leader, yeah. Rambo just basically takes him by the throat and sits him yeah. down. And he turns to Sarah and says, when you say we right. go back, we'll go back. Right. He acknowledges her as the leader right. of this little expedition. He's a wounded, damaged soul, and she's just trying to show him right. she simple, shows human, him passion simple and human kindness and compassion. exactly. And he responds to that because right. it's been so long since he's had it. Probably since Troutman. Exactly. You get the feeling that he's emotionally, Which is why I, he's emotionally cut himself mm-hmm. off from anything. One of the things I think is, is that they give you just enough that you can see her being the Troutman stand-in. Yeah. That it doesn't just seem like it's tacked on just because Rambo needs an excuse to go in there. After they're captured and we get some... There's just an obsession with pig with this series. In the second one, Rambo was dipped in pig shit. Mm-hmm. In this entry in the series, Sarah's boyfriend is tied up underneath a house where there are pigs, and the pigs are feeding on his legs. Yeah, ugh. Which yeah, is, yeah. ugh. You get the impression that they're holding her to, like, torture her and eventually rape her. Right, well, that's what they do with their women. Yeah, well, as we yeah. see in that entertainment night sequence. Yeah. With the dancers. The pastor of the church... Comes to Rambo. Comes to Rambo and says, I understand you've brought them to this point. We've hired mercenaries to bring them out. He... Decides he's going with. You know, because he says... Yeah, he finds out... You know, and he has... He said, oh, well, they... To Sarah, too. He said, yeah, well, they got them all. He makes up his mind, well, he's going to go along. The mercenary, he's a cocky guy. Yeah, by Graham McTavish's Lewis, Mm -hmm. who is a total all-mouth. Oh, he's a dick. As he's driving them up, and he's, like, going this whole monologue about, oh, I just love killing people and things, and he's just being just a total loudmouth. And Rambo is just looking at him like, like, wow, Boat boy! In fact, the few times that he speaks, McTavish shouts him down. They go into the territory. In fact, he wants to go. Rambo takes out his bow. Still has his bow and arrow. He's still got his trusty bow and arrow. And and if you have Matthew Morrison's schoolboy, you're like, maybe we should bring him along. Again, like when we have the character going back to the first one, David Caruso. David Caruso. His character suspects that there's a little bit more 
about this simple boatman than right. they realize. They have the Mexican standoff scene yeah. where Rambo's got the bow and arrow. and After he saves them from an attack, and yeah. Lewis is mouthing off to him the, the, with the bow and the, arrow. The, yeah. the, the point of the arrow is like a half an inch away from his yeah, nose. Yeah, from his nose. So they go in, they rescue the missionaries. And let loose the carnage. And carnage ensues. So, you think we're joking, people. We're not exaggerating. For about the last 30 minutes of this 98-minute movie, mm-hmm. it is nothing but blood Blood, bullet, blood, bullet, bullet, blood, blood, bullet. It's nothing but things splattering everywhere. This is a really stripped down movie. There is nothing extraneous in it. It's all about the Mm -hmm. plot. It's all about, okay, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. It's an excuse to get to the end, the last 30 minutes, where everybody is shooting at everybody else. else. You see bodies literally disintegrate Mm -hmm. from machine gun fire. And it doesn't help that this is CGI blood. It's still shocking. Because oh, it's just so much of it. And there's one part where a guy has his leg shot off and then we see him crawling right. trying to get his leg back. And, Doesn't oh. somebody get bisected too at some point? Yeah. It's, oh. And uh, the main bag, the lone sticks the knife in him and opens up and his guts literally yep. pour out. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a violent movie. Even for somebody like me who see my share of yep. violent I also movie, wonder if I was he, saying, oh my God. For those sequences, <laughs> if Stallone didn't choose to do that over-cranking thing that Danny Boyle does for the 28 Days yeah. Later, uh-huh. because it has that same sort of feel where it's like almost hyper-real. Where yeah, it does, even though right. it's going very fast and there's a lot of steady cam, you still almost see everything going on. But... I have to say, even with the violence, which of course is not going to bother a yeah, lot of, of y'all course. guys listening to this, because y'all... You guys are probably just going, okay, that's for me. A lot of them probably seen right. it already. Right. The main thing about this is that Stallone has brought John Rambo back to where he's supposed... Because, this is the Rambo of the first film again. Because the last scene is virtually the same shot as the first movie, right. First Blood, with him walking down the road, the long hair, the right. sack on his back. We learn... It's the pastor, isn't it, who learns that his father is still alive. Yeah. The pastor mentions this. As a, he says, I bet that your father still like to see you. Mm-hmm. And it ends with him... Tracking his father and his father in this enormous ranch. Yeah. Obviously, I I want to live in that ranch. (laughs) It's got big bucks. (laughs) And it's a long pullout of him walking down towards the ranch house. Yeah. And it looks to me like he's virtually dressed in the same clothes he did in the first shot we saw him Mm -hmm. in First Blood. The same army jacket, jeans. Right. His hair long down his shoulder carrying the rucksack. So he brings us to the circle. The thing that, that impresses me about this film, though, is that it's Stallone... Being the actor that I saw and I was blown away by, no pun intended, in that first film. Seeing that guy who is still, and it's obvious because he's not wearing any makeup, so he looks every one of his 65 years. Yeah. And it's obvious that he looks as broken now as he probably was on the inside in that first film. And he's not cut like he was. Yeah. He looks built, but he's more beefy. Right. Like Once again, remember, if this was the last film, this would have been an incredibly fitting ending. Oh, yeah. That was Stallone's whole thing, why yeah. he did Rocky Balboa and Rambo, because he said that the last movies that he made with those characters... He was totally unsatisfied right. with them, especially Rocky Five. Yeah, you know, Rocky yeah. Five was ridiculous. Yeah, and he wasn't happy with that, and he wanted to have a satisfying conclusion for both of these characters, right. which I'm glad he did. Mm-hmm. But apparently, with the success of Rambo, they have thrown money at him, and he's doing two more films. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. of which they is, back, actually, I got to admit, they backed up the dump truck. The more I hear about this other project he's doing, part of this contract, the Expendables the more I want to see it. Stallone 
and Dolph, is Dolph Lundgren still, I think Dolph Lundgren may have dropped out, but it was originally mm-hmm. going to be Stallone, Dolph Lundgren, and Jet Li. Okay. Has aging mercenaries who come out of retirement to fight the villain that they've got. Once again, they had to recast the villain because I forget who it was originally, but now it's Eric Roberts. Oh, okay. They're trying to get every one of the major 80s action stars to do at least a cameo. See, that's what they ought to do. They ought to get yeah. Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. Stallone, Norris, Van Damme. Who else? Those Shoku, guys. Who, if Shokushuki was still alive. Yeah, see, those four guys are probably big four right. action stars. Yeah, they ought to get them together and put them in a movie. Well, Come I had on. an idea for a script once about these characters who were like, I was going to have like a Stallone type guy mm-hmm. who were, uh, one of them had to go into a mission and they gazed the other ones up. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like the superstars kicking ass. Yeah, do something like that. But I the mean, other one is going to be a fifth Rambo film. Ah, see, couldn't leave well enough alone. Yeah. Could just lie. See, if you had ended on that note, we could have said, okay. Well, the question is, what's going to motivate him this time? Exactly. That's what you need with the Rambo character. You need to have proper motivation for him to do what he's got to do. And it's to Stallone's credit, has a director that found a way to make Julie Benz into that surrogate Troutman, if you will. Of course, it's also Julie Benz, because Julie Benz is a very underrated actress. If he had left it at that, we would have had, what, two really great movies, yeah. one okay movie, and one mediocre one, yeah. which is my assessment. Of yeah, no, I think you're right. First Blood and Rambo, 2008, I guess is what we're going to have to call it. Yeah. Those are excellent, excellent films. Rambo First Blood Part 2, things start going off the rails. It's but, still watchable. Yeah, it's still enjoyable. And actually. Rambo 3 is just... Uh, they usually run it like on AMC. Yeah. I see it shows up there a lot. Put that on the background while you're cleaning the house mm-hmm. or washing the dishes. So to sum up, that's how we feel about it. First Blood. First Blood, excellent film. Rambo, First Blood Part 2. Eh, we're it's getting there. It's okay. It's, it's entertaining. A, it's an entertaining, acceptable action flick. Rambo 3, unwatchable. Let me tell you something about the Afghanistan people. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> and Rambo 2008 is kick-ass. Okay. And kick Ed and kick groin and everything and else. Kick everything. They kick everything. And in they ain't kick everything. There ain't a human body left in a solid piece by the end of the movie. I don't <laughs> think, except for Rambo and, and uh, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, Sarah right? yeah. yeah, really. I see everybody else is dead by the end of the movie because the mercenaries right. they get chopped up. Missionaries get caught in the crossfire. For some reason, line from uh, the BBC series Jekyll popped into my head. It's like sex, only with a winner. Yeah. <laughs> Physically. There right. you go. That's, that's probably the best that, way. That's to... probably the best way to describe Rambo 2008. So there you go, folks. You have our Rambo episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Now it's just time for administrative, huh? Yeah, I guess we got to do the administrative. Okay. Stuff. You love us, you hate us, you want to talk about the forces of freedom being a great... The greatest cartoon, cartoon ever made. Since... Since G.I. Joe. Since Transformers. <laughs> uh, you can send us an email at better... Mm, the dark at gmail.com that's better the letter n the dark at gmail.com you can uh, join us on our message board which is better in the dark dot proboards105.com where we have a lot of interesting yes. conversations going on right now regarding iron man 2 right and also where you learn more information about future meetups which we're going to try to do more of in this the coming year and also just a reminder we're still at uh better the dark where you can leave comments on individual episodes, but we're about halfway there. Our transfer to our new server, which is going to be bitd.lipson.com, mm-hmm. where you can also find the comic-y goodness that is DJ Comics Cavalcade. That, if you love comic books, I would strongly advise you to listen to that. And episode not... 15 is coming out this weekend, and I have only three words for you. 
Monkey Green Lantern. And I'm not just saying that because Tom is my partner. <laughs> I would be listening to that even yeah. if he wasn't. It's was some entertaining listening. Trust Monkey me. Green Lantern. How could you say no to that? Okay. Right. I'm there. Right. So until next time. In fact, the next thing we're recording is another requested episode. Yeah, one that uh, people have been. Bu- Who is that? Kelly me? from Podcrawlers. Okay, Kelly. So you Kelly, you're getting your wish finally. Kelly, I stay made cool. a promise, and you're going to get it. He made a promise. <laughs> yes, but we're both going to fulfill it. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what sort of weird Malaysian mercenaries you want to split up the middle with a big old hunting knife, go Go see see that that movie. movie. Good night. Good night. God bless. You've been listening to Better in the Dark featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Kevin McIntyre of the Poor and Weird Podcast, John S. Drew of the Chronic Grift, Paul and Al of House to Astonish, and the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards105.com. Better in the Dark knows Richard Farnsworth wasn't in first blood, but give us a break. That daylight savings time got our heads scrambled. Older episodes of the show are archived at bitd.lipson.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright Thomas D.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that it is never recommended to attack a Soviet tank with a bow and arrow. Don't push it. Don't push it. I'll give you a war you won't believe. Let it go. Let it go.